morning. It's good to see you here today. Thank you for joining us. Now, how many of you are familiar with a man named Cliff Young? Probably none of you, is what I thought. Cliff Young was a 61-year-old who entered the Australian ultramarathon of 543 miles. He was a potato farmer. He showed up for the race in overalls and boots. And people began to laugh at him. As the race started, he took off. Supposed to be a five to six day race. To everybody's surprise, they watched everybody take off before him and he would stagger with a unique little walk was behind everybody else. However, however, at the end of five days, he beat the second place guy by nine hours. You see, in the ultra marathon that you post to run for 18 hours and sleep and rest for the rest, sleep and rest for the rest. But nobody told him that. And he kept running. And he won the race. You see, the thing that I want to encourage you this morning is perseverance. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we're in a race. And I don't know, some people are good at short distances, some people are better at long. But regardless of whatever distance you travel, you're in a race. And it's going to be marked with difficulty. I often find a lot of people that say, you know, the Christian life is hard. Well, yeah. When family and friends turn on you, the world despises you. Sickness and famine comes. Finances crash. You lose your job. Everything that you think of from a worldly sense seems to fade away from you. But see, that's part of the race. You see, I often like to share with people that there's a false belief that once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, that all your problems go away. In a lot of ways, your problems begin. But I want you to understand that it's worth it. You see, as we're in the chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews, the writer again emphasizes the importance for us to hold on to the faith that we possess for he that promised is faithful. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to stand with me as we read the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession, he was faithful to him that appointed him, as Moses also was all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as the son over his house, whose house we are. If we hold fast to our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. God, we pray as we look to you. 
that we do hold unswervingly to the faith that we possess for he that promises faith. We love you, we praise you, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If we could go to the first verse in chapter 3, I want to spend a few moments there. Therefore, we talked about this last week. The writer again will be bringing a conclusive statement. Because of the death of Christ, because of the penalty paid for us, therefore, since we are now ushered into the family of God, he remember, he said he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We talked about this last week. No matter where you are, where you've been from, what country you're from, no matter what race you are, if you were born again believer in Jesus Christ, we're family. Therefore, holy brethren. Now you'll see he'll couple holy with brethren. You see, holiness was something that would have been familiar to the Hebrew readers. Why? Because if you look at the Levitical sacrifice system, they knew that holiness had to be attained by blood and sacrifice. As he writes to them, understand also that this is a persecuted church. We spoke a little bit about this this morning as we're talking about trials and tribulations. And we talked about how here in America, we don't understand and fully grasp persecution. This is a writer who is writing to persecuted people who, according to Hebrews, soon will be uh, persecuted to the point of shedding blood. You have to take into consideration, as I was sharing, that understand that during this time of Roman rule, Christians were hated. I shared how, how you know, a lot of us love the movie The Gladiator, but Marcus Aurelius was one of the greatest persecutors of Christians that ever lived who Nero would actually tar people, Christians, and set them on fire to use them as uh, torches around his portico. How they would clothe them in animals and put them into the arena so, so animals would attack them. Christians were hated people. They're a hated people because they hated Christ. So if anybody understood the, the words persecution, it was these people. But the writer would share with them, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. You see, I want you to think about this verse. I couldn't get off of it this week. Because not only are we holy brethren to seek holiness, our holiness is not found in our own acts or our own works. But our holiness is found in the worth of Jesus Christ. We are unworthy, but yet through Christ we are made worthy. Not by what we have done, but what Christ has done for us on the cross. That's where our worth is found. And he says, therefore, holy brethren, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, it's not the animal sacrifices or anything that you have done that has saved you, but is by the price paid, on, paid by Christ on the cross. You are holy. Therefore, if you are holy brethren and sisters, you act like holy brethren and sisters. Holiness does not exist in unbelievers. It exists in believers. And he says, therefore, because of the price that was paid, brothers and sisters, that's us, partakers of a heavenly calling. I loved as we studied this morning that this is not our home. This is where we dwell. But this is not our home. You know, sometimes I go to my house and it's dirty. I don't know about your house. I've always told people, look, if you're going to come, give me a 20-minute warning i got to pick up, okay? But I want you to understand that my house is flawed. 
And so is yours. Because you'll begin to fall apart. Things will happen. It'll lose its value. But things of this earth are temporary. So he's encouraging, look, you have a, heli- you have a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. You see, the writer will go on, it says, the apostle, high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. Now you will see that to the Hebrew readers, this is very significant because Moses had a high standing in the Jewish people's eyes. But what you will see these verses is a comparison between Christ and Moses. Okay? Now Moses would lead the people out of Egypt. He would lead them out of bondage. But Moses could not enter into the promised land. Remember why? Because he sinned. So Moses, who is a great patriarch in your eyes, who is a, who is a great idol, if you will, I'll use that in a different term, but it said somebody that you look up to, a founding father of your faith that you put so much trust in, he cannot compare to Christ. Because even though Moses led them out of bondage, they couldn't enter the promised land. Put your trust in those who lead you out of spiritual bondage and can take you directly to the promised land. That's what he's saying. You see, Moses was flawed. I want you to look what it says. each of us like to compare one another. You ever thought about that? We compare our looks. We compare our cars. We compare our finances. Everything that we try to measure up to our standards has to deal with somebody else's. You ever thought about that? Oftentimes, we love to look at comparisons and we value ourselves based on somebody else's value. Now, go with me on this. You value your success on what others think about you. Am I not right? You value what others think about you. Your success, your popularity is based on the world's view. A Christian cannot have a world's view. Why? Because we're not of this world. So the writer is comparing Moses and Jesus. Moses was of this world. Jesus came into this world, but he was full deity, full full man. Because Moses was flawed, Christ was unflawed. Moses was a great leader, Jesus is the greatest leader. Moses was an apostle, Christ is the Apostle. That's the comparison. Because even though we like to compare, and he will use earthly comparisons to make a point, there's nothing that compares to Jesus. The Bible says, You also, as living stones, are built upon a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture Behold, I am laying in Zion. Zion, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for unbelievers, a stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone, and a stone of a stumbling block of offense. For they stumble because they are obedient to the word, 
are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but you are now the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have mercy. You were once a dark people, living in darkness, but because of Christ, you're a royal priesthood. Let me tell you something. The home that Christ has prepared and the family that we've been ushered into is greater than anything Prince Charles can ever live in today. I was so fascinated about all the people that watched all these royal weddings. All of a sudden, they're gripped with scandal. We always love to watch the lifestyles of the rich and famous. We like to see all these people who have inherited so much money, have these beautiful homes and all these beautiful things because they think money is going to bring them the greatest happiness in the world. And it is so stinking silly that pastors have now brought this into their pulpit. Why? Why do they do it? Because it attracts you. If I go fishing for panfish, I fish with worms. If I go trying to attract people to fill these pews, I'll fish with money. Because that's the one thing that I can come after each of you with. You want money? Trust in me. Let me tell you something. It's heresy from the very pits of hell. You're a royal priesthood. It's not a priesthood built and bought by man's hands, but built by the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's imperishable and never fade away. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. Not because of what man has done, but for what Christ has done. And when you're going through the trials, that's what he's saying. Consider this. Consider this. When you want to sit and ponder things, you ponder the man who completed the race for you. You ponder and think about the man who paid the price for you because he alone is worthy. Consider Jesus. What does this mean? It means that we should always consider Christ in the light of Scripture, not in the light of what men say about him. I need to be clear on this. Consider Jesus. It means to meditate upon Considering the person and the work of Christ. How often do you consider Jesus? Are you consumed with worry in your life? Know what that's like. Are you consumed with fear? We talked about this morning. What things do you, are you consumed by? If we're all honest with ourselves, there's a lot of things that consume us. And a lot of things that the devil uses to substitute for Christ. But like he told this persecuted church, you're a part of a family. Consider Jesus. So how do we consider Jesus? I want to give you a few things this morning. We can consider him in a lot of things. But I want to get to the top of the, of the iceberg if I can yet to give you some encouragement. Listen to me. We consider Jesus when we're tempted. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind, and God is faithful. So He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You hear that? That's the verse that people love to mess around. God won't put more on you can handle. Of course He does. In context, what is He saying? Temptation. He will not tempt you more than you can handle, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that he will be able to endure it. 
You can walk away. Those things that get your attention off Jesus, you have an opportunity to walk away. If you're in Christ, greater is He that is in you than He is in the world. You can flee. So many times we get tempted by things. We get tempted by money. We get tempted by drugs. We get tempted by sexual immorality. We get tempted by these things. But Christ is greater than is in you. You are a holy people who seek holiness through Jesus Christ. And the race is not just a one-time event, but a daily occurrence. Amen? How many of you have ever been tempted? You'll be tempted today. Tempted to keep the remote in your hand instead of turning it off and maybe spending time with your family. Tempted to have that extra piece of sugar you shouldn't have knowing you're a diabetic. I'm preaching to me now. (laughs) You know, it's amazing how we like to pick and choose our sin. Have you ever thought about this? We love to pick on all the people that do other things, but we don't like to look at ourselves. And see, that's what Jesus did when he told told the religious self-righteous. You know, you might want to look at the little uh, block you got hanging out of your own eye before you look at the stick in mine. Every one of us should evaluate where we stand before Christ. Are you tempted? What tempts you? Are you tempted to gossip? It's always amazed to me, we always want to get on the smokers and drinkers. You never talk about the gospelers. You ever thought about that? Now, this is where it gets cute. Okay? That's where everybody gets mad at me. Okay? But it's fine. We have made our own convictions sin. Think about this. We make what we think is sin. What does the Word of God say is sin? Anything contrary to the person and work of God. His holiness, contrary to Him. We love to pick and choose actions that make sin. Let me tell you something. It's not what you do that makes you a sinner. It's what you are. You know what that means? Let me explain to you this way. Sin is a result of your inner disobedience to God. It's a sign of your heart. You do what you do because you're in rebellion against Jesus Christ. Sin is evidence of what's deeper in your life. But it's not a certain thing that makes you righteous or unrighteous. That's why I want to bring this up. Whether you're the worst murderer or whether you're a thief or whether you seem like you're a really great guy, sin is measured by your life and your heart. What's in your heart will be multiplied through your life. Let me put it to you this way. Not only are you a sinner because you were born into it because of Adam, in one way, in one shape, form, or fashion, whether past or present, you have decided that your way is better than God. So you're also a rebeller. You're born into it, and you rebel against God's word because my way is better than his way. So let me put it to you in a nutshell. It's not what you do that makes you a sinner. It's what you are. And you don't put degrees on sin because regardless of what you think you are or how bad this person is as compared to yours, compared to all of us, our righteousness is but filthy rags. There's none of us that measure up. None of us. Because we all have to go to the foot across the same. You hear me? Because there is no good in me. None. The only good in me is Christ who lives in me. And if we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're not worthy by our own works, but about Christ's work on the cross. So it's not about whether we do good or bad. We're all bad. Remember? As the evangelist said, there's three words that should give us all chills up our spine. And that's God is good. 
Why should that give you chills? Because we are not. We are not good. We're all dead in our trespasses. But Christ is the giver of all life. So it's not what you do that makes you what you are. It's what you are that makes you what you are. And if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what you've done, it's not because what you have done that makes you unworthy. Listen. Because everything you've done, you're unworthy. But it's because you know without a shadow of a doubt that you cannot clean, be cleansed without a Savior. You go to the cross. You confess Him and repent of your sins and He will save you. And He'll give you a new nature. And I promise you, He will change you just like He changed me. And it's not about what I take to the cross. The only thing that I contributed to my own salvation was my sin. But yet in His great and His mercy, He forgive me. And if we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we're a holy, royal priesthood. And let me tell you something. It don't mean we're not going to fail. So I, don't, I want to go there for a few minutes. Chad, do you believe you can lose your salvation? No, but I believe there are those that never had it. You say, well, were you saying? Well, let me tell you something. I want to make it clear, and I did this a few weeks ago. Listen, if you live like hell and have no conviction of it, I promise you, you'll make it there. Because if the Holy Spirit is in you, He convicts you of your sin. And when you get off on that path, the Holy Spirit is there to knock you back on it because you know that you're not living for Christ. If you're a royal priesthood, those who are worthy because of the work of Jesus Christ, how can you live contrary to that? You can't. You may slip up, but you will slip back on. Do you hear me? For the Bible says in 1 John, For they went out from us because they were not of us. For they have been of us, they would have stayed with us. Therefore, their going out showed that they were never one of us at all. They went out from us because they were not of us. Again, the people that are fascinated with Jesus are not a part of a royal priesthood. But it's those who are followers of Jesus that are a part of the royal priesthood. There's a big difference. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. When it comes to temptation, you can walk away. Does it not mean we're all going to withdraw and all going to turn away all temptation? We're all fail. We're all failures. We will all fail. I'm going to tell you this. If you put your faith and trust in me, I can promise you I will let you down. I'm a flawed man. But I serve an unflawed Christ who when I get off that track, he puts me back on it. Why? Because greater is he that lives in me. And I want to encourage you you said, Chad, you don't know what I've done. You're exactly right, but Christ knows. And I can promise you, he'll save your soul. Well, Chad, I've been saved, but I'm getting off the track. Then get back on it. Trust in Jesus. Hold unswervingly to the faith that you possess, for he that promised is full. I'm going to tell you, there's no greater peace than knowing that if I lay my head down tonight, and it's my last on earth, there's no greater peace than knowing that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Do we all have that? God, your royal priesthood. Let me tell you something. Don't let these wars scare you. Listen to me. Listen to me. I know a lot of people are afraid. This same writer that was writing to these Hebrews here was writing to a persecuted church that they did not know what tomorrow holds, but they knew who held tomorrow. 
You see the difference? You see the difference? Because what they held to was the faith in Christ, and he was encouraging them to hold to that. Because regardless if the world ends tomorrow, you're in Christ. Do not put your faith and trust in the economy. Do not put your faith and trust in this government. Jesus was not born to be a politician. And voting a certain way does not make you a Christian. I said that. Because men are flawed. Your 401k is not going to save you. I was having a discussion with a man just a few minutes ago. Their wall just a couple of days or a couple of weeks away from being homeless. One sickness, one job loss could affect you tremendously. If you put your faith and trust in the treasures of this world, I can promise you you're misdirected. And if you have a preacher or a teacher, if I ever say that, then if you don't beat me without that door with a stick, then you have a problem. Because I'm not going to tell you that. My faith is not in worldly things. It's in Christ. And that's where our faith. Do not be tempted by the things of this world. Fall in love with Jesus. Number two, consider him in your weakness. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, because the extraordinary greatness of the revelations for this reason to keep exalting me from myself or keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for the power is perfected in weakness most gladly. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weakness, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If anybody knew about persecution, it was Paul. If anybody knew what it's like to have and have not, it was Paul. You boast in your weakness. Chad, you don't know how sick I am. You're exactly right, but Christ does. You boast in Him. James says, consider it a joy when we go through trials and tribulations. How do we consider things a joy? It's not the trial that brings us joy, but Jesus Christ who walks with us through that joy. That is where it is found. I can assure you that each one of you are either going toward a furniture, in the furniture, you're coming out of one. That will not change as long as you live this earth. But you rejoice in your weakness because the same person that saved your soul can identify with you in what you're going through and will sustain you through it. Yes, you're going to hurt. Yes, you will die. Yes, you will see other people go through things. Yes, you may lose everything you have. But one thing I am confident is he who began a good work in you will see it to the day of completion. He is worthy. Hold unswervingly to the faith that you possess, for he, has promised, he that promised is faithful. Boast in your weakness. You see, there's a lot of times that, and we shared this this morning, I, I think I've seen the church, and, and there again, I'm putting out a pitch for Sunday school. Wednesday, we had a sack full of people in here. I don't know where you all come from, but I hope you come back. <laughs> and we do this on Wednesday, and we do it on, and, and, and also on, on Sunday morning, Sunday school, we have a time of, question and answer. We didn't do it this morning, but God just led me to talk to people about what their fears were. 
And you'd be surprised at what everybody in this church, one way, shape, form, or the fashion, or the other, is going through things. You see, God has equipped us to be saints to one another. Okay? What does that mean? And you've heard me say this a million times. Yes, I am. Like the Blue's Clues, I'm redundant on a lot of things, but listen to me. Listen. Saints is not singular in the New Testament. It's plural. We need each other. And see, how great can we relate and build one another up when we're going through things? God has equipped us that way, that we can grow with one another, that we can encourage one another, that we can help keep our eyes focused on the prize. You see, the thing that amazes me is a lot of times in my own weakness, listen to me, a lot of times in my own weakness, I want to withdraw and have my own pity party. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a flawed man. I am not self-righteous. I know me. And I know what I can do when I get my eyes off Jesus. So can you. So in my weakness, sometimes I withdraw. But that's the time that I mean to cling, not withdraw, but draw upon and cling to the garment of Jesus Christ. Cling to the saints that are around me. Cling to the prayers that are lifted up. Because I know that He is enough. And I want to encourage you that each one of us may go through something. We will go through something. Some are worse than others. But there's nothing that is strange to Jesus. You draw to Him in your weakness. Don't withdraw from Him. But also on the same topic, listen, other side of the coin. You hold to him when things are going great too. Listen to me. A lot of times we forget about Jesus when things are going good, don't we? You know, it's amazing. Like I said, the Chinese guy came over here and he went back. He was a missionary. He had came over here. That's a side note. I want to tell you this. It's popped in my mind. I want to tell you. Did you know in America people are now sending missionaries to us? Did you know that? Chad, you don't know that. Yeah, I was there. Of 25 of us that were commissioned for the North American Mission Board, and over a quarter of us were commissioned from other places come here. American Christianity. It's just like the Chinese missionaries said. They said, what did you find them interesting about the United States when you went over? He said, all the things that they think they can accomplish without God. You see, it's easy to get our eyes off Christ when things are going the way we think they should be going. But as the song says, not only do you praise Him in the storm, you praise Him in the blue sky because He is worthy. Because not everybody's going to walk around with a rain cloud over their head. Not everybody's going to walk around with sunshine over their head either. But the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, but Christ is still worthy to be praised. And you boast in your weakness. Number three, I want you to consider Him in your daily walk. How many of you get up every morning and go, God, I wish I could stay in bed. How many of us look forward to getting up in the morning thanking God for the breath He gave us? You know, it's amazing. One thing I learned from my grandfather many years ago that when I'd spend a night over at his house, and I did quite a bit, was that he would wake up, he had this routine, he'd sit on the side of his bed, and he would say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me another day. I've never forgotten that. Because every day that He has given us breath, it's worthy to praise His name. He's worthy to praise His name. Do we praise Him for the day He's given us? Now, I can promise you that day may be a little rough on you. You're going to work with those co-workers that don't like you or that you don't like. 
You may have to do something miserable. You may be made fun of. You may be in a car wreck. I can't say. You may be a part of something horrendous. But understand this. The same day Jesus who gives you the good days will also walk through you with the bad ones. And he's worthy to be praised. You see, the Bible tells me very clearly, listen, when we are to consider him in our daily walk, not only would you think about him, but listen to this. Whatever things are true, as Paul would say, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, think on these things, Philippians 4.8. Why? Because everything that was just mentioned comes from the root of Jesus Christ. Consider him daily. You know, so Chad, we're trying to sound super spiritual. You just don't understand. You're right, I don't. But I know this, regardless of what happens, Christ is still worthy to be praised. You see, I want you to understand this. That my biggest concern more than anything is that everybody have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not that you're going to go through a trial or tribulation. Listen, I'm just going to be real with you. I, look, I do care about you. I do. I don't want to see anybody go through anything. I care about whatever you go through. We pray for you because I know somebody here, I don't care about what we go through. You know, I know how those things work. That's not what I'm saying. I care about what you go through, but I care more for your soul. I care more for your soul. And you see, you must understand that we're given this one life That saying, YOLO, you only live once, no, that's not true. You're given this life on this earth, but you're going to live again. And it's either going to be in God's presence or out of it. And that's fact. But what you do in this life determines what will happen in your next. And if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you cling to him, if you have not, today is the day of salvation. Chad, you sure do preach the gospel. If I don't, you run me out of here. Because the gospel's main number one, period. Because here's the thing. Like I said, the Christian walks a race. And I don't know about you, but when I look at racing and analogies, if you see me out running, call the cops, somebody's chasing me. <laughs> but metaphorically, what I want to share with you, it is a race. But it's not just a short sprint, it's a race of endurance. You see, most of you have probably never heard of Philippides either. See, Philippides was a day runner for the Greeks. We get our word marathon from the Battle of Marathon where he ran all the way back to Athens. He'd say, victory, victory, for we have won. And he collapsed and he died. Everybody says, he ran that marathon race and he collapsed and died. Let me tell you a little bit more of the story that people don't read. You see, for him to run to Athens, first he had to run to Sparta to ask for help when the Persians landed. And that was a trip of over 100 miles. And he did it in a few days. Then after the battle, he runs and says, we won. We won. And he collapsed and died. You see, every one of you should have that mentality. And I pray to God that if you are born again believer in Jesus Christ, that when you leave this earth, I pray you leave tired. That you've run that race and you've battered by the skint knees, the strawberries on your legs, the aching joints. 
Because he that trusts in Christ and runs that race will see the difficulties as just another hurdle that he's got to go over. If we could all live, not that we're in a valley, but we're headed to the next mountain, our view of things would be a lot different. You see, Philippides got the words out, we've won, and he died. You see, I think about this, and I want you to, just to understand. When we get to the end of the finish line, that's it in the race. The reason we finished it was because Christ won it on the cross. And I pray that every one of you here that is in him, when you leave this earth, you leave it tired. Because this is not your home, my friends. You just happen to live here for a brief moment. And I can assure you, some of us are going to leave it sooner than others. I can't guarantee you'll see me next week. I'm not sure that I'll see you. But what I can share with you this morning is this. If you place your faith and trust in Christ, I'll see you at the finish line. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and mercy. And God, some are a little further in their race than we are. But Lord, regardless of what step we're at, Lord, I pray that we would all consider Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, that when we arrive, we've been a little bit beat up. But we would all proclaim victory, victory. You won, Jesus. And we are found worthy because of you. God, we may go out that door and it'd be the last time we ever take a breath. And God, I cannot stand the thought of anybody that would be here today that does not have a relationship with you. God, I pray you convict hearts. Draw them unto you before it's eternally too late. God, I pray that those that are here today that's in this race, and Lord, we endure to the end. And Lord, I pray that everybody here today, that I'll see them at the finish line. We love you, and we praise your name. And all God's people said, please stand and worship with us as we sing.